Welcome back to CFO Weekly, where we're talking with financial leaders about how to build efficiency in their teams, create time for strategy, and ultimately get results with your host, Megan Weiss. Let's jump right in. Today, my guest is Balanli Williams-Ali. Balanli is the chief financial officer and part owner at Mancini Duppy, a technology-first design firm based in New York City, where she oversees the firm's financial and operational performance. She has over 12 years of experience working in the AEC industry with a strong background in financial analysis and strategic initiatives. At her core, she thrives on building relationships between finance and management teams to ensure the overall financial success of her projects and her firm. Her clients include American Airlines, Soho House, Brooklyn Nets, Bocaria, Verizon, and NBC Sports Group. She is a dynamic leader within the AEC industry who has been a guest panelist for the American Institute of Architects Women's Leadership Summit, National Organization of Minority Architects 47th Conference, and Mother Honestly Summit. Milanli is passionate about service and is the founder of several organizations. Before her current position at Mancini, she served five years as Senior Project Accountant at Skidmore, Owings, and Merrill and five years as project accountant at HLW. She holds a master's in education and social policy from NYU, master's in applied mathematics, and a bachelor's in mathematics from the City University of New York, Hunter College. Balanli is a board member of the Beverly Willis Architecture Foundation. She is also the author of Build Boldly, Chart Your Unique Career Path and Lead with Courage. She is married with two kids and obsessed with throwing fun-themed parties. Bola, thank you very much for being my guest today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, today we're going to be discussing you, your career journey, and your recently published book, Build Boldly, Chart Your Unique Career Path and Lead with Courage. Uh, Build Boldly uh, provides a practical playbook to spark bold, courageous action for growth and leadership that inspires others to rise and be their best. And I'm excited to learn from you today. So let's get started. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the conversation. First, let's start with you. Uh, if you could tell us a little bit about your career journey and, and how it is you got to where you are today. Sure. So uh, I'll make this as abridged as possible. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I moved to the U.S. in 2002 to come to college, um, wanting to study computer engineering. And this is like one of my favorite things to share. Um my first semester, I took computer engineering. I took physics, and it didn't work out. I, <laughs> I, was I like, had a similar experience. <laughs> yes, I said computer engineer is not for me. Ended up switching my major to mathematics. Thankfully, my mom was very supportive of that. Um, and then, um, you know, graduated in 2007 with no internship. Um, so. Very close to graduation, I started like, you know, scrambling to look for work. Again, I'm an international student who just moved here. Ended up finding a job listing for a junior project accountant um, at an architectural firm. And now the connection for me was that I had taken technical drawing in high school. That essentially was the reason why I had applied. I said, oh, I think it would be interesting to work here. I I had no idea what a junior project accountant did, but I wanted to, you know, Um, put my application in, ended up doing, going for the interview. And, you know, the interviewer also studied math in school. So that was our connection. We connected on, you know, on our majors. 
Um, and then that one interview was really pivotal for me because, as I mentioned, I didn't do any internships in school. So I was very like timid when it came to interviewing because I wasn't sure where I was going to end up or how to translate how my math degree can help me in a in a job. That interview, I said I was just going to be myself. I was going to, um, you know, speak to the value that I felt a math degree could bring to work. I was sharing that I was open and willing to learn, and I got the job. That is what has now led me now close to 15 years, um, you know, career journey within the architecture and interior design company um, industry. Sorry, so I spent first five years. Um, at my first job, climbing up the ranks, I moved from junior project accountant to project accountant. Then I switched companies because I thought it was important for me um, to, you know, learn what project accounting um, was from a different perspective, right? Because I was sort of getting on-the-job training uh, and building my experience through just being in the industry. Um, it was important for me to see it from a different perspective, so I switched companies and joined uh, Skidmore Wins and Merrill for another five years as senior project accountant um, and ended up having my two babies uh, there. So I could have very well, you know, remained there because I had stability. I had a job that I was um, enjoying and um, opportunity came knocking. <laughs> I got a phone call, um, you know, asking if I was interested in coming to run a finance team at a, at a company. The company's name wasn't shared with me. Well, when I finally uh, spoke to Christian Giordano, who's the president of Mancini Duffy, um, it, was, it was incredible. It was an incredible opportunity for me to join as control at Mancini. He had just taken over the reins from you know, um, prior uh, leadership and was essentially defining a new vision for the company. And he was looking for someone sharp ready to work, ready to learn, um, ready to, you know, go along this vision with him. And so I met up with him and I essentially laid everything out on the line. I said, I'm a mom. I have two little kids under two. I'm very um, interested in making sure you have flexibility for me and my kids, you know, like this is the stage I'm at in life. Um, how do we make sure we set me up for success, right? So as a senior project accountant, I was seeing things from a project level, but now I would be stepping into a firm-wide level, right? How do we make sure that I'm successful um, taking on this new role? Long story short, now almost five years ago, I ended up joining Mancini as controller. I, I took the leap and bet on myself. Um, after a year, I became chief financial officer. And in the following year, I became um, one of the owners of the company. Wow. And now... <laughs> And now we are here in 2022, um, you know, leading the, the company um, now, you know, thankfully out of the pandemic. Um, and it's been incredible. There are lots more other things that have happened along the way. But that essentially is, you know, the career trajectory that has gotten me to this position now. Yeah, that's an incredible journey. And as a mathematics major, did you ever take an accounting class? Um, I think I took one. <laughs> And my, I, I took one and I don't know if I even did particularly well in it. I also never wanted to be in accounting because my mother was an accountant and I wanted to do something completely different from her. And I laughed, I, you know, I vividly remember when she visited Mancini when I became controller 
And I laughed because my mother was also a financial controller when she worked in corporate in, you know, in nine to five. And I said, life really does come at you very fast and in a full circle. Yeah, that's funny. Um, accounting is a great choice for a career, for sure. Lots of different paths to be taken. Yes, yes, yes. Um, I'm, even though I didn't do it, I'm grateful that I've ended up here, right? And of course, you know, with a math degree, I mean, that's all you're doing now. <laughs> it's a lot of numbers, right? But what, what, it, what it really helped me do is, is think strategically, think about how I approach problems, right? Doing something so as as tough as mathematics. Yes. Um, you know, you're exercising a lot of brain power. Yeah. Um, and so it has definitely come in handy along the way. So you might have touched on this already, but are there any stories or moves throughout your career that stand out in your mind as turning points? Yeah, yes. So, so yes, I definitely touched on that with, you know, making that decision one to cross over into Mancini um, because, you know, I was essentially taking on a double promotion, right? I was moving, like I'd mentioned, I was moving from a, um, just handling things from a project level to a firm level. And so um, making sure it was, it was critical for me to make sure that um, once I took this position, I could hit the ground running, but that I also had the right resources, support system, voice, you know, um, at the table to make sure that, you know, the opinions or, or changes or initiatives that I wanted to implement um, happened, right? So that interview was critical. And, and why I say it was critical also is because I had a leader on the other side who was interviewing me, who was open to this, <laughs> to this person asking all these questions um, during an interview. I think it's, it's on. It's not as usual, right? Usually, if you're trying to get a job, you're 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 not talking about your weaknesses, right? Or you know, that's that famous question: What do you what do you think you can improve on? No, I literally um, laid it all out, and so um, that was a turning point because it. I went to. It now allowed me accelerate my career, right? I feel like I had I I had exponential growth, as I mentioned. Moving, moving up to CFO in a year. Uh, and then, of course, um, being a part owner the following year. That, for me, is, is, is a story that will always stand out. Yeah, you mentioned uh, that it's, it's not common for someone to lay it all out there. But I do think that that's beneficial. Um, I think interviewing should be a two-way street in order to find a good fit for both you and the company that you're interviewing with. Yes, I encourage people. I encourage people now to to begin to speak up a, a bit more in the interview process. Um, it it sets expectations, right? Um, especially if you have good talent you're interviewing. Uh, if you notice somebody's an A player, you know that means when they join your company, they're go- most likely going to need the right support system to move them to an A plus player, right? So you don't want to lose out. Um, on somebody that can really be, bring value to your organization. If in the interview, it's all, you know, stiff, yeah, you're not exploring all the different parts, work-wise, um, um, work-life balance, you know, like you need to be looking at all these things from the get-go so that um, both parties uh, completely understand what they're getting into yeah. once, you, once, you start, once you start the company. It, and I will say, I acknowledge that, it was a bit easier for me to, you know, say all those things 
because I was moving into a leadership position. So a firm alignment was really critical for me. But I will say that I, I noticed a bit of that in me when I was interviewing from, for my first job. So I don't know. I, I think I've always been on that side where, you know, I'm like, okay, if this is meant for me, let's, let's make sure we show up as our true selves and, and just be yourself in the interview. And let's talk about Mancini Duffy and, and what it is that, that they do. Yeah, sure. So at Mancini, we're an architectural and interior design firm. Mancini is actually a hundred plus year old um, organization, uh, which is for me something special, you know, to be a part of uh, an organization that has existed this long. Um, we do a range of projects, um, corporate, financial services, aviation, uh, restaurants, um, we're able to really come, um, you know, to our clients with an entrepreneurial spirit, making sure that we bring their vision and um, these projects that they want to do, bringing it to life. One of the things that we've really been doing over the last few years, though, is um, really thinking about how we can use technology to help improve our design process, help improve how we deliver projects to our clients, and also just, you know, challenge the profession, challenge our peers. And so at Mancini, you know, we like to call ourselves a technology first design firm because we're thinking, um, you know, top to bottom, how technology can help us improve overall. Uh, so we have something that we've developed called um, the Design Lab. Uh, we have a process, which is the 360 design process, using things such as virtual reality, 3D design to bring our clients into their space very early on, right? So if you're familiar with, with you know the industry we design all these beautiful things and then you just end up printing it out on a paper right and a client has to now make a decision just looking at these at these uh, 2d drawings however we've noticed that once we put them in their space it's almost like design thinking um, on speed right so they're able to see things that they wouldn't have been able to um, visualize till either when the project was being built. Um, and so it helps them just make their decisions better. It's also a value add uh, for the clients because, you know, one, from a financial perspective, there are things that you notice when you're in your VR space that you would, like I mentioned, you wouldn't notice until you're building and that costs you money, right? And so over the last um, uh, three, four years, even in COVID, we've, we've had the opportunity to pivot to keep on innovating in the design lab and uh, our clients are enjoying it. We're bringing more and more, more clients on board and it's, it's, it's been incredible for me to see. So that, that to me is part of why I decided to, you know, become part of one of the owners because the, the future for us and what we're trying to do is really exciting. And I definitely want to be a part of it still to see how it unfolds. Yeah, technology can do amazing things these days. It's, it's incredible how far it's come in the last 10 or 20 years. I'm telling you, even myself, when I step into that lab, I tell you, I step in today and what I saw two weeks ago has probably evolved, right? Because wow. they are constantly pushing and challenging themselves or a client can come in and say, hey, um, can I like change the material in this space? And they say, okay, they write it down. So we have developers um, in-house that help um, us develop these, these tools that we're using. And then I can go back in there today and it's completely different. They've, they've progressed even further. 
Yeah, so it's like a, it's a hockey stick. <laughs> yep, yep. It's very exciting to be a part of, to see. Um, it's it's great for our, um, you know, employees because it challenges, it challenges them um, to think differently. Yeah, sounds like an exciting place to be working. Yeah, yeah. So what are your proudest achievements since joining me in Sini Duffy five years ago? Yeah, so let me start with, you know, I was thinking about this. Let me start with my most recent um, uh, achievement that I'm really proud of, which is leading an organization through a global pandemic. You know, we are not out of it yet, but I think, um, you know, March, I think we can all play back. Play back. If you're listening for in the U.S., you can all play back to March 2020 and how we all felt um, then. And, um, you know, you really have to think as a leadership team on how do we get our people uh, one, from an emotional standpoint, clients, um, project standpoint, how do we get us through this this period? And here we are now about to hit two years, right? It's 2022 and we are on the other side, right? So I'm really proud to have been able with my partners to just lead our company through this difficult um, period for us all. Uh, the other, the other exciting um, achievements I per- personally, for me, of course, would one be making CFO. I believe I was 32, wow. and my daughter was my daughter was my daughter said to me, she said, "Wait, are you like the boss boss <laughs> now at the company?" And you know, I mean, for for a little, and then she she probably was so she's eight, so she was like five. Then for her to like kind of understand that that was special to me because you know, children don't really care about your work titles; they just when they see you, they see mom. Yeah. So, so yes, yeah, so definitely um, these two that I've mentioned are, are are two things I'm really proud of. And Man- Mantini is. Very diverse. Um, from what I understand, 51% of the firm is female, which is nearly twice the industry norm. So as someone who's passionate about creating spaces for women within this industry, what does this mean to you? Uh, this, this for me means, means everything, right? So I, I think about my experience coming up uh, in the industry and, you know, looking at the folks that I worked with, folks who were in leadership, Right when I was coming up, you didn't see a lot of female leaders. Right, you didn't you didn't see pe- female leaders either, like pulling you up, encouraging, mentoring, championing, championing you. Um, and and for me, being here and having this percentage at the organization is very critical because it's representation. Right, it's it's representation in our leadership group. Also, we we're probably forty percent um, in ownership. Right, we're forty percent women. And it means that, you know, you know, you have someone who is or another woman who is in the rooms where decisions are being made. And so it's diversity in ideas. Um, it's representation on the floor. It is advocacy for me. It, it's showing that, you know, if a woman looks at our organization and is thinking about wanting to work for us, she can see others who look like her there. Um, and then for me, Sorry, women drive profitability <laughs> from it's, a financial perspective. Yeah, right. Yeah, so, I've read that. That's yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah. And so when when you think about that, right, you think about the decisions being made on the projects that we're working on, 
um, and how um, projects are either um, successful or not, all of that ties into ties into how uh, ties into the bottom line, right? It it ties into this. So it's it's very very important for me that our my organization is reflective of of or, or doing slightly better than the industry. And hopefully, you know, all us all will begin to you know challenge like why is it that our floors, meaning other organizations, cannot be challenged? That why is it that our floors don't have more women? Why is it that we're not more diverse in terms of race, ethnicity, you know, all of these questions? These are things that we constantly have to be thinking about because it affects how the business thrives. Yeah, I've read uh, articles and that there's so many benefits to having women in the workplace and in roles that are are leadership. Yeah, yes, 100%. I say this, you know, some people might not think this is a big deal, but as a mother, you know, being part of leadership you know, I'm able to, this, this is an example I'll give. So I think we were trying to decide where the mother's room should be in our office. And um, my male colleagues had said, oh yeah, let's just put it in this room uh, that is directly across the floor. And I'm like, guys, we can't do that. A new mom returning to the office um, needs privacy, needs space, right? Some people don't think this this might not be a big deal, but it is a big deal. We want to be able to um, welcome mothers who are returning back to work in 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 a good manner and in a good way in which they they can comfortably pump if they need to, or comfortably yeah. have a room um, where they can um, have peace of mind, not not thinking about their their teammates on the other side of the floor, um, hearing their pump machine running, you know, so something as that, that's a perfect example of why, um, you know, women being in these rooms where decisions are being made uh, is important. So last month you posted on your LinkedIn that as a business leader and also the person accountable for the financial success of your company, 2021 pushed the heck out of me. So in those challenging times, what did you discover? Mostly, what did you discover about yourself? Yeah, so um, I'm usually uh, one who prioritizes, uh, you know, my emotional well-being. I think it is essentially critical being in the role that I'm at that, you know, I have clarity in mind, clarity in thinking. And I think when we entered into 2021, again, I think maybe some of us had false expectations that uh, we would probably be through the pandemic by summer, at yeah. least, right? And and as the months started going by, you know, of course, the different ways started coming and, you know, things didn't look as great, right? And so um, emotional well-being is 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 critical. You know, I, I, I say that it's something that you don't want to, excuse me, ignore. That's one of the things that I realized that I had to constantly make space for um, because it affected how I showed up. It affected how I made decisions at the organization. It affected how, you know, if, if I wasn't emotionally clear, it would affect all these things that are critical to how the business um, uh, is performing or was performing through 2021. And so, that's one of the things I learned that I couldn't um, take that uh, for granted. And for me, part of the ways in which I make sure that my emotional well-being is is, is in good um, good standing is by working out. 
right? So I made sure that I didn't skip my workouts. I made sure that um, I was plugged into whatever kept me sane, yep. um, you know, uh, just to navigate through it. Outside of that, though, you know, when you think about the business, I started like just rethinking all the scenario planning that 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 we had done, right? Thinking about about what is what is it that we need to do in the immediate? What do we need to do short term? What do we need to do long term? How do we begin to prioritize the different decisions that we needed to make to make sure that we made it through the year? Um, you know, how are the how are we making the tough decisions um, that you know either be it from a client side, like how are we making sure that we're collecting on our on our projects? How are we making sure that we're delivering um, what our clients' expectations and needs are? You know, so all of these different things were were ways in which you know were things that um that um I was constantly having to think about, you know, and so breaking them down into smaller bits smaller timelines helped myself, helped our leadership group get through 2021. So that's what I mean by uh, push the heck out of me, right? I really have to apply um, myself even more um, just to get us through the year. I was exhausted though by the end of the year. (laughs) You know, I wouldn't lie. I think a lot of us can, 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 well, probably felt the same way. Yeah. Um, to your point about emotional well-being, I recently, well, it was a while ago, a few months ago, I read an article that said that human beings can cope uh, as long as there's an end in sight. If, if they can yeah. feel like there's you know, a light at the end of the tunnel, they're way better at coping than when it feels like there's just no end in sight. No end. <laughs> so yes, yeah, yes, it's, I been, it's been challenging. Yes, yes, I completely agree with that. I, I think that, you know, not being able to see, <laughs> have the light at the end of the tunnel was a little yeah. tough. So you yeah. just have to find things um, daily just to get you through. And let's switch gears a bit and talk about your book, uh, Building Boldly. Um, what inspired you to write this book? Yeah, so for me, um, y- you know, my past, you know, I was reflecting back on my past to to being CFO to and being um, you know part owner at Mancini was definitely not traditional. And when I reflected back, I realized that I literally crafted my own playbook to get me here. You know, part of the ways in which I I did that was by staying curious, building relationships. Right? We saw you know when we talked earlier. Um, the reason why I ended up in Mancini was because of relationships that I had developed 10 years prior. Um, and so the inspiration behind it was really to challenge individuals and leaders who are in, intentionally ready to change their path and ready to change the path for others within their organizations to craft their own playbooks, right? How can you really and truly become the CEO of your own career and um, and and chart this blazing path for yourself. And so the idea behind it is, you know, sharing through themes that that arose over this now 15 years that I've been working, sharing through the, uh, the themes. Um, so, uh, sorry, give me a second. You still good? Yeah, sure. Just uh... yeah, yeah. So just cut that out. I'll take it. I'll take it over. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So sharing through themes that um, arose throughout my career journey, I realized that moments where I um, really um, grew 
were moments where I was bold, right? And so that's where the idea of build boldly comes from, right? Really leaning into your bold, the bold side of yourself and you will see growth. You will see changes that will happen for you in a good way in your career. Yeah, I think that it's very hard for a lot of people to be bold, um, but it's definitely yeah. important as a leader, particularly as a leader, to be bold. Yes, I completely agree. You you have to um, define what um, leading boldly looks to you, and that's where you know this bold the bold framework that I I share in the book. Um, you have to lean into that to um, one, nurture and retain the right people that you want to work in your organization. You can't nurture, you can't retain people if you're not challenging the status quo, if you're not thinking um, about connecting to them, if you're not being a vulnerable leader. Uh, You know, it's, it's especially this, like we said, this past two years that we've experienced, um, you have to be vulnerable. People have to be able to connect with you. I read this thing that says, you know, um, People uh, follow leaders who are real than leaders who are perfect, right? And I think that um, because we spend so much time together at work, uh, this idea of leading your people boldly is critical to the success of your team, your company, and yourself. And what advice would you give to aspiring CFOs who are looking to become bold leaders? Yeah, so... um, one, I would say, you know, let me talk, let me share a little bit about um, the the acronym BOLD, right? Yeah. So the B is be yourself. And what I mean by that is who are you as a leader? Um, who are you as yourself? How are you showing up in your organization? Are you hiding parts of yourself or are you really expressing who you are? Um, be yourself and you will see your people follow you more uh, and, uh, and there will be buy-in. They'll be buying from your people because they can see a leader who they can connect with. The all in bold is opening your mind to new definitions and opportunities, right? And so really critically looking at ways in which um, the organization has been run and what definitions, what new definitions can you put in place? What new opportunities can you afford for the folks in, within your organization? One, either to develop them, two, to push them into um positions that, uh, positions of growth, um, how can you open your own mind to opportunities that can help propel your organization um, into success, right? So really begin to think about what are the things that we've defined and are they really working for us or not? And and if they're not, how can we change it? Um, L is lift others. Uh, Throughout my career, I'm, I'm always constantly thinking about, one, how can I give back? If I learn something, how can I pour into the next person? And so this concept of lifting others is an opportunity for you want to either mentor people, champion people, think about ways in which you can help them grow in their career. And um, it, it's critical to the success of your organization. When you even think about like um, promotions, moving people up, if you're not lifting people up in your organization, you're going to be caught in the weeds all the time, right? So think about making room for people to move up and be lifted. And the D is don't wait, do it now, right? So what is it that you want to do? What are the changes that you can make, be it immediate, uh, be it in the short term, that can um, help make your organization different, 
right? So don't wait for the perfect time. There is no perfect time. Um, begin to think about these changes that you want to implement and, and run with it. And so that's how I think, you know, um, that's how I lead boldly. That's how I think other CFOs can lead boldly. But really think about what you what you want to be known for as a leader and begin to work towards that. Begin to define that and do it boldly. You know, once, once, you've, once you've fleshed it out, do it boldly without fear and uh, you will definitely see changes coming through. Yeah, I, lo- I love that acronym. Oh, those are all awesome attributes of an amazing leader. Yes, yes. So you wrote in your book that, uh, and, and this is an, in- an interesting point to me, but when my leadership team and I make decisions based on both the data and our guts, they usually pan out. However, when we make decisions based on just the data, we're missing an important element of decision-making. So as a CFO, how do you balance both the data and gut feelings, which, you know, as a CFO, you've gotten all that experience and that's what you're being paid for. So how do you balance those two when you're making decisions? Yeah, so for me, you know, when I think about that, I I think the first thing that you have to think about is context, right? What is the context in, in which, you know, we're making decisions with both the data and our guts? And when I say guts, I mean, like really understanding the qualitative part, right? So the data gives us the quantitative, but you need to understand what the story is behind the decisions that you want to make. So really and truly understanding that context, you know, one, what is the risk, right? So is it uh, when you say, you know, you're you're going based off of gut feeling, um, is it when it comes to a new hire, I was a I was a gut decision, right? In, on paper, I probably won't have um, been given the opportunity to. But you know, having that interview and uh, and you know the leader Christian really just connecting with me and we talked everything out. Um, he took a bet on me, right? And 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 gave me an opportunity to step into this position that has allowed me grow in my role, right? So. There are, there are different situations that can come up, but you need, you need to make sure you're thinking about the context, the risk, what, what is in it in the future, right? If you make this decision now, what does the outcome, what do, we, what do you think the outcome can look, look like? And so just making decisions solely based on data, there are things that you miss and it doesn't allow you to have a full, wholesome view of um, the, the decision that you want, uh, want to either take action on that can affect the, the organization. So that's what I mean by don't just look at data, look at data and um, the, quant- the qualitative aspect of things. Yeah, that's great advice because data, um, I mean, it's, it, it tells a story, but it's not always the right story if, if you don't yeah. know the context behind it. Yeah, data allows me ask questions. You know, that's that's the power of data. It allows you to ask questions that then forces people to really think about everything else behind um, the decisions that you want to make. And what advice do you have for CFOs who are looking to drive strategic value to grow revenue and margin within the organizations that they're at? Um, the, the first thing I will say is, one, make sure you understand your industry and your business through and through, right? So you're not just uh, in your office or wherever you you know with your team, just crunching numbers. If you don't understand how your business works, 
you're not going to be able to to drive revenue, right? Uh, for me, you know, within the architecture of, um, industry, I need to understand how projects work. I need to understand how fees, fees and pricing structures work. If I don't understand that, I can't advise the, our leadership group when it comes to um, new clients we're trying to bring on, right? How do I make sure that um, my team is set up to, to work really well and closely with the project managers to make sure that we are headed for profitability on the projects that they're working on. If I don't understand what, uh, you know, the different um, phases mean and like how they affect affect fee, how they affect profitability, how they affect how we bring new, new, um, new uh, staff to work on the projects on, I'm not going to be able to grow revenue. Then really take a look and see what is working, what industries are working, what project team makeup is working. Um, how, how, uh, what are the key drivers that are, 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 are making us see revenue growth? You know, when you see that, then study it and try and see if you can scale it, right? So when, you, when you're trying to grow revenue, right, you have to understand what, where your market thrives, where your organization thrives, and then try to see how you can con- continually build relationships and grow that market. Right. So so that's um, at least personally for me, like that's part of the ways in which, you know, I advise our leadership group when it comes to uh, growing revenue. Then I think about how to improve our productivity with our people. Right. So I mentioned a little bit about like our team makeup. Think about what what um, teams like look into your organizations and see what teams are really productive and why are they productive? You know, again, I could look, you know, we just talked about this. I could look on, on paper and say, oh, yeah, this group is productive. But why? What is the reason? <laughs> what are they doing um, within their teams that is making them productive? Then uh, when you do that, you're able to reduce, you know, expenses or reduce like the effort it takes to grow revenue to increase your margin. Right. So and then lastly, for me, I will say, you know, think about your people. Who's working on who's working on on the project is the people, right? So you need to make sure that um, there's buy-in from your people. They understand how the hours that they work affect um, affect the, the the project that you're delivering, affect what is presented to the client, affect the affects the firm's bottom line. And I think when people understand what they're doing um, and the value that it brings. Um, you begin to see improvement in your financials, right? So, so I think looking at all these different areas will definitely help when it comes to growing your revenue. Yeah, people are so important these days, uh, not only attracting them, but like you said, being able to retain them and keep them engaged. Yeah, yeah. I think once you, once you can do that, um, you, you will definitely see improvement. I've seen, I've seen it, uh, you know, in our, in our projects. Um, and just client satisfaction with, with those people, right? Like even the clients expressing that means that um, they are thinking about us when it comes to um, new work, more work that they want us to do. So lastly, as a CFO, what is keeping you up at night? Oh, currently, well, first of all, I like to sleep. <laughs> so, <laughs> I <don't, too. laughs> so I don't like anything keeping me up at night. Um, but currently, I think what's keeping me, what's top of mind during the day for me is talent, right? 
I think we're all facing it across the board where we want to make sure that one, you know, the people who are with us are happy. um, We're treating them right and also looking for great talent to join us and um, and grow the business. Because like I mentioned, work is now um, improving um, coming out of the pandemic. So we're looking for great people to join our team. So talent is top of mind. Yeah, I don't think you're alone there. (laughs) No, no, not at all. Bola, thank you very much for taking the time to speak with me today. Uh, Thank you for having me. This is great. Yeah, I've enjoyed our conversation and all of the insights you provided. And for our listeners who are interested in reading your book, where can they find it? Sure, you can find uh, my book on Amazon. Uh, So you just search Build Boldly and also on my website, www.bolanleywo.com. You, you'll find my book there. Okay, well, thank you. And I wish you and Mancini Duffy all the best. It seems like you're both doing amazing things. To all of my listeners, thank you for tuning in. And until next week, take care. If you're ready to boost efficiency and streamline your accounting processes at significant cost savings, it's time to talk with Personiv. Their people-powered solutions have transformed the delivery of back office tasks and general accounting functions for decades, partnering with clients to provide everything from accounts payable to payroll services. See what Personiv can do for you by visiting personiv.com. You've been listening to CFO Weekly presented by Personiv. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to hear all of our episodes. Want to learn more? Check out personive.com. Thanks for listening.